Welcome back to The Bird is the Word, Penn Live's Philadelphia Eagles podcast. I am Daniel Gallen, a Penn Live sports writer, and I'm joined by Penn Live's Philadelphia Eagles beat writer, Aaron Kaznitz. Uh, Aaron, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. Ready to talk about some uh, some football now that we have a real game to to go in, to dive into, to discuss, and uh, an Eagles win at that. It is officially football season. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was a good football weather weekend. Uh, you know, the... Guys were out on the field doing the thing. Mm-hmm. It was just sort of like, all right, like it's finally here they after a very and, long summer. Yeah, they were running and crashing into each other and and holding on to football. It was, <laughs> it was big. It was a big uh, a big afternoon for football fans. Yeah, what was what was it like at opening kickoff down at FedEx Field? Eagles Redskins NFC East divisional matchup. Great way to start the season. I mean, yeah. how'd it feel to just kind of finally have that? You know, it's, it's really cool. Um, one thing I've noticed from my two years now covering the NFL is uh, preseason football, it, it's not great when you're just watching it on TV, but it is super depressing when you go because, I mean, we were talking about it because we were uh, together. We went to the to the Eagles' final preseason game against the Jets at MetLife Stadium, and it's this massive stadium where you know for a regular season game there's going to be... 80,000 fans there, there's going to be grilling, there's going to be people wearing masks, people hyped up, and there's just nobody there. So it was, it was nice on Sunday to have the atmosphere and actually, or at least have the venue, but have the atmosphere match it, have the atmosphere be what it's supposed to be, and it was great. I mean, it was it was good to see, um, it, it was good to see a packed crowd, plenty of Eagles fans there, which I thought was interesting, um, plenty of tailgating from before the game, uh, FedEx Field's press box isn't in the best location to be able to kind of grasp the entire uh, the the entire environment of a stadium, but you could tell the crowd was amped. You could tell just like any time there's an opening day sort of thing that, that it was a big deal. People were excited, and that's a lot of fun. Yeah, with that Jets game, we didn't have the best seats in the press box, so we essentially we couldn't see up, <laughs> which which made it kind of weird. But I think that was kind of a saving grace because it meant that we didn't have to see the random fans dotting the upper deck or anything like that. Right, this was as empty, that was as empty of a football stadium as I've ever seen. It just, I mean, in any capacity, like when there's random soccer games, there's charity events, like there's more people at a football stadium than that. So it was nice, it was nice on Sunday to have a full crowd. And really, I mean, both teams treated it like a huge game because it was, it was open this season in a really tight division against a divisional opponent. And for the Eagles on the road, that's a big deal. So, obviously, the biggest story of the weekend is the Eagles win. They're 1-0. <laughs> it was a quick start to the game and to the season. And there's a lot of takeaways from the game. It's kind of hard to extrapolate this over the next 16 weeks. And right. you don't really know which conclusions to jump to yet. You know, which ones you might need a little bit more time for. Um, but, you know, coming out of it. How do you feel about what you saw, and what do you think it means moving forward? Yeah, so I mean, we'll we'll take plenty of time to discuss the positives and negatives throughout this podcast. Uh, so stick with us there to get deep into specifics, because there are plenty of negatives you can draw from that game, no <laughs> doubt. Uh, the offense struggled late, and the defense uh, certainly was vulnerable at points and injuries and all that. But to me, the biggest takeaway is, A, Carson Wentz seems like he's made big strides in year two. Obviously, last year he tailed off at the end of the year, tailed off after the first three games. So that's that's something you got to worry about. But, I mean, this franchise is going to go as Carson Wentz goes. And there are some concerns with him. It's not like he made every throw, but his ability to escape and make plays. And when you have a guy who's 
the leader of the face of your franchise who's making plays like that and and being fearless like that that'll give you a chance to win even when you're not perfect that's a big takeaway 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 number two is i mean as simple as it is to say oh eagles win uh last year they didn't win these kind of games last year uh they didn't win any of their last seven games on the road their only one on the road was against the bears a three and 13 team not very good uh, but not only that, last year there were one and six and one possession games. And I know technically because the Eagles got that late touchdown, uh, it was a two possession game. They won by 13 points. But last year they didn't win these close games. Last year they choked. They were the team choking up leads and they were the team that couldn't finish games. Uh, this year it came down to the last possession. The Eagles needed a stop. Not only, not only did they get a stop, but they forced a fumble, got a touchdown, and sealed the win. You know, stomped it out. Um, late in the game, the Redskins were driving. They could have taken the lead. Jim Schwartz dials up a blitz. They get pressure. Jalen Mills gets his first career interception to preserve a lead. That kind of stuff wasn't happening last year. Last year, it was Wendell Smallwood and Ryan Matthews fumbling late in games. Last year, it was uh, the defense not getting a stop in Dallas when they needed to. So to me, the big takeaways, Carson Wentz is looks like even more of a playmaker this year. And number two, the Eagles found a way to win the games they didn't last year, and that bodes well. And above all else, that's, I think, the biggest takeaway. When the Redskins go out there for that final drive, it's 22-17. Eagles had a prime opportunity to really ice the game with a touchdown there. Uh, LeGarrette Blount only gets two yards on a third and three. They don't go for it on fourth and one. Uh, Go elect to kick the field goal. Um, You know, when Kirk Cousins comes back out there, what was kind of the vibe? How did everyone kind of... Was there a sense of inevitability? Like, oh man, it's going to happen again? Mm-hmm. Or was it more, all right, let's see how this plays out? Well, I think that's the that's the interesting thing about a season opener. And particularly in the NFL when things are so different year to year. You didn't know. I, I think I, there's not... Last year, same situation, you probably would have felt that inevitability. <laughs> but this year, it's a new team. And, and not only did the Eagles have a new defense, but... I mean, it was pretty clear to me that the Redskins' offense was not clicking as well as it would have had Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Gasson still been out there, but the Redskins are a different team. They don't have their veteran playmakers. So there wasn't a sense of inevitability um, quite like there might have been later in the year. And then I think the big thing is, I talked to Brandon Graham about this after the game, but he said, you know, the the Eagles were sitting there and him and Vinnie Curry and Tim Jernigan and Fletcher Cox were all like, we're going to go after it. Like, who's going to make this play? We're going to get a sack. We're not just going to rush the passer. We're going to get a sack. Brandon Graham ended up doing it. And, of course, like, everyone talks about that, whatever. But in the Eagles' case, you've got those four guys are all experienced guys. And you can throw Chris Long in there. You can throw first-round pick Derek Barnett. They're all really good, experienced players. It's not like you have a bunch of young guys saying we're going to go make a play. No, these are established NFL players. And in Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox's case, established NFL stars really, really, really pushing to get a win. And I think that's key. And when you talk about Schwartz's defense, it's designed to get pressure with the front four, right? Well, when does that pay off? It pays off late in games because he doesn't blitz much anyway, so you don't need to worry about changing your defense when you're when you're playing late and not trying to give a big touchdown. And B, I mean, those guys with their relentless pass rush wear down offensive lines. That's kind of the point. And it all paid off in that play. So... Uh, it worked out well for the Eagles. I think a lot of things about that last drive bode well with how well their defensive line played. But, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe because of this win we'll start to feel inevitable about the other side. Maybe we'll start to think the Eagles will pull it out later later this year.
On the podcast every Tuesday this season, we're going to look back at Sunday's game and each of us are going to pick a player whose stock was up and a player whose stock is down uh, based on their performance. Uh, There's a lot of guys uh, on both sides of that coin coming off, especially because it was week one. Uh, But for you, Aaron, whose stock is up uh, with the Eagles 1-0? So pointing out one specific player, and obviously in the first game there's going to be a lot of guys whose stock is going up and down because you're kind of starting from a blank slate. But for me, the stock up guy in week one is Jalen Mills. Uh, I think it had to be a guy from the defense in this case because the defense made the big plays to get the win. Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox were great, but those guys, we knew. We knew they were good. The question was in the secondary. The Eagles had to go trade for Ronald Darby because their cornerbacks were so uninspiring, right? They they didn't know who was going to start opposite Darby when it first happened. But Jalen Mills has been steady all spring and all summer. The coaches said he was steady, and I think everyone else kind of had a little skepticism there. It's like, well, I mean, maybe he will be, but what we saw last year from Jalen Mills was a few flashes of, of potential, but often a lot of times it was, you know, he'd wag his finger when the ball was clearly incomplete, terrible throw, but he wouldn't make, he'd he'd get burned on the next play after he wagged his finger. So he had the confidence, he had the playmaking ability, but he didn't have the the consistency and he didn't have the speed to keep up with deep receivers. I thought yesterday he defended prior uh, a little bit. He also moved around the defense, uh, defending and covering different guys. And then he made the big play at the end. I know that the pressure caused that interception in the fourth quarter of the goal line, but Jalen Mills had the, the ball skills and the awareness to go up and, and snag that ball. And, I mean, com- combining steady play with the ability to make that big play when you get a chance, that's what makes a great cornerback, not just a good cornerback, a great cornerback. Not saying Jalen Mills is there yet, but we saw a below-average cornerback last year. On Sunday, he was... Uh, well above average cornerback I thought and then he made a big play that that ended up you know really playing a huge part in the Eagles win that's why he's stock up and I think that's huge for the Eagles because as we'll get to later Ronald Darby being out they're going to need to rely on Jalen Mills even more than we thought they would yeah with uh with Darby going out it's sort of like the corners are kind of back to square one right almost because you know he was the big addition in August and now you're sort of still left with what you had before but, you know, to see Mills have a game like that, especially going up against a guy like Charles Pryor, who I think just from a pure kind of athleticism standpoint, mm-hmm. can really go at it with anyone he wants to um, out on the edge. And so I thought it was I thought it was really nice to see Mills have a game like that. Didn't see too many finger wags. I don't know, I know. if I wasn't watching close enough, but I, I was waiting for it. I didn't see one. We'll go back and check the film and, and see. Yeah, that's definitely what you want to watch the film for. But <laughs> it was it was sort of nice just to see that, you know, okay, it, you know, we talked about how Washington was missing Pierre Garçon and Deshaun Jackson, but it was sort of like, all right, this isn't a tire fire. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. And I think... Um... And we will get deeper into this when we talk about Darby later later in the podcast. But the flip side to they traded Ronald Darby, they gave up you know a really good player in Jordan Matthews and a draft pick to get Ronald Darby because they needed him so bad. So in that sense, it seems like the injury is really bad. But Malcolm Jenkins in the locker room afterwards pointed out, well, from the outside it might seem like the injury is so bad, but all spring and and the first part of training camp, this was our secondary. Like we were prepared for this, so it's not. I don't think the Eagles feel like they're missing something as much as they would if, say, a guy like Malcolm Jenkins or Rodney McLeod went out because those guys have been there forever. So I think that that's a benefit to it where, you know, maybe they 
maybe even though Ronald Darby boosted the, the team, because they had played without him earlier in training camp, they don't feel like it's a huge loss, or at least they are comfortable playing without him. Um, so I guess we'll, we'll go to you. What do you think about stock up? Um, I had Carson Wentz uh, with a stock up. Um, the fifth 300-yard passing game of his career, had a pair of touchdown passes. Uh, he he just looked confident, and he looked good. Um, you know, he showed off his mobility really well, and we'll get into that a little bit more when we talk about stock down. But it was nice to see him be able to evade pressure. Um, you know, we were talking earlier about how he can just make throws on the run. I mean, that throw to... Uh, to Nelson Aguilar for the first touchdown. I mean, he evades probably three different defenders in the backfield, is going against his body, and manages to square up and toss it <laughs> downfield. I mean, I don't... Like, that's the type of play that you don't really think he makes as a rookie. And so it's sort of like the the growth, whether it was that, you know, private quarterback coaching, working on footwork and those little things, or if it's just him being more confident. Um, that was just something that really stood out to me and was just you know, pretty pleasant uh, to watch. I mean, there are still some throws that he didn't hit on. Um, you know, he had Torrey Smith deep a couple times on seam routes, and it felt like that he was he overthrew him a little bit. Uh, he and Alshon Jeffrey didn't connect that much. Um, he th- that interception they threw was, I know it was tipped at the line, but it was still kind of a questionable throw. You know, I, there's still stuff that, you know, you take away from it where like, yeah, like once has a little bit of work to do, but... I think you can't really argue with the overall picture of what he did, how he did it, and the fact that he did it while he was under duress uh, from the pass rush for most of the game. Right, and I thought, I thought it was super impressive, his pocket presence, and just, uh, I mean, there's always guys who can make those plays. I think it has a lot to do with confidence, as you mentioned, and maybe, maybe it does have to do with the private quarterbacks coach. Uh, you know, who knows exactly what they worked on. Wentz has been pretty tight-lipped about that because he doesn't want to undermine his coaches with the Eagles, which makes sense. Um, but I think, and we've talked about this in the past too, he didn't seem all that comfortable in the pocket, which is interesting. And I certainly agree with you that Wentz was great. It's all it's good signs for sure, what, what he showed. But he missed some throws in the pocket. Uh, and it's, the offense wasn't really... He, he very rarely threw in rhythm and had big gains. Even, even the big gains that weren't that touchdown... Uh, the play where uh, Ertz got a, got a guy on a wheel route, you know, when they were running, and when Torrey Smith's one catch was across, that was more of a scramble type of play. Part of that was because the protection was bad, as, as we'll talk about. But uh, from your perspective, how, how do you balance that? How do you balance the optimism from what he showed out of the pocket with, you know, understanding that the offense wasn't churning when he did stay in the pocket? I feel like looking at that, it's you can't really teach the throws on the run and that sort of thing. Um, You know, they do all the scramble drills. A guy like Ertz is, you know, the preeminent security blanket. I mean, that wheel route play that you mentioned was very pretty, just sort of leaking upfield, leaking into space. Wentz knew exactly where he'd be. Um, You know, I think that rhythm in the pocket, I feel like that's something that you can develop over the course of the season. I mean, he had two brand new wide receivers, uh, on the outside and Jeffrey and Torrey Smith. Uh, he has a reinvented wide receiver in Aguilar, um, you know, a new running back. There's a lot of pieces. So I feel like that when you plug all those pieces in the kind of the machine, that might take a little bit to like get going. But when, you know, he's scrambling and it, everything turns 
to back to instincts as opposed to, you know, this is what you're supposed to do. I feel like that, you know, that might be where those guys, at least early on, will be able to make a little bit more plays. But I feel like, you know, if he was constantly under pressure and he could only make throws when he had a clean pocket, I feel like I'd be more concerned moving forward than like, he didn't have a clean pocket that much. Um, You know, he wasn't really hitting on those throws in the pocket, but if things broke down, he was able to do something. I mean, I think that it's, you kind of have to balance it, but I think that I'd be, I think I'm a little bit more confident uh, in what he can do based on kind of how he reacted under pressure. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd certainly agree with that. And I think the throws he didn't miss were close. You know, mm-hmm. Torrey Smith, both of them, one was a little, uh, Peterson said his foot slipped a little bit on the first play of the game, and then the next one a little over there. So it was close. And you're right, I, I do think that plays on the run and, and broken plays are pure ability and pure instincts, whereas that other stuff has to come. Um, and, and the other thing is to be able to make throws in a clean pocket. You have to have a clean pocket, which I guess will get to your uh, stock down. If you yeah, want. I mean, it's the thing where Carson Wentz showed off that mobility, but it isn't exactly the best thing that he had to show it off. Uh, the Redskins, it felt like that they were in the in the backfield pretty much at will. Um, you know, the, the running backs, were, I think, averaged 2.6 yards per carry. Uh, Wentz got sacked a couple times. He got hit a couple times. Um, it was just sort of, it was very messy uh, in the trenches. And uh, Jason Peters going out at left tackle uh, with a groin injury, that doesn't that didn't help things either. But even before that, they were still getting after him. Um, so I, I feel like that that's a thing where, you know, it's, you can have the best quarterback in the world, but if he's not, if he can't throw, if he can't get time, it doesn't mean as much. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah. Um... And I, I think there were other issues with the offensive line as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, where do you think those started and, and what was the cause for concern? I mean, I think the part of it definitely is opponent-related uh, where you're going to get like Ryan Kerrigan and company. I mean, those guys got after Wentz last year too. So I feel like that you know, there's competition there. But at the same time, you have to prepare for that. I mean, when you play the Giants, you're going to have a couple of edge rushers. Uh, depending on what's going on with suspensions on the Cowboys defensive line, you're going to have some really good edge rushers. Um, so, I mean, you know, I think watching on TV, it's kind of hard to find breakdowns. It felt like the, um, in real time, I feel like there were a couple plays where like guys were just coming free uh, right. almost. Um, you know, for you, you were there. Um, you know, what were people saying? What was kind of the, I guess, the overall vibe about how how and why the offensive line was like that yeah and i don't think and, and again it, it was up and down it's not like they were terrible i th- i thought one matchup that maybe before the game i would have put in the eagles favor that ended up in the redskins favor was uh, eagle uh, redskins defensive end jonathan allen who's a rookie playing on the right side starting right defense end. it's pretty pretty big spot in a three four defense because you got to get push inside to let the guy rush on the blind side um he really seemed to outplay Isaac Samalu, the Eagles left guard. And Samalu's the one new starter, so you didn't know how that would go. I thought he outplayed him. Um, Lane Johnson, I thought, struggled, and maybe that's only because, you know, he talked to, he said he would, you know, they'd dominate the Redskins in his Players' Tribune article, um, and he, you know, missed both Redskins games last. Maybe I was paying more attention to Lane Johnson, and it seemed like Kerrigan beat him a couple times. But that's a matchup where, you know, you're not going to contain Ryan Kerrigan for 50 plays a game or however many plays. Um, so I thought those are the two guys. And then Halapulavati Vaitai, 
who came in for Peters and played left tackle a bunch. I thought he did well. He played over half the game. Uh, that said, you know, sure he did well, but was he as good as a Jason Peters would have been? I don't think so. The Redskins definitely got some pressure there too. So that uh, the offensive line coming in, I thought looked like okay, we've got solid players at every spot. That's that's how the Eagles view it. Now I think it's the Eagles have to look at it and say maybe maybe there's some issues here where we need to get better because. Jason Kelsey at center is getting a little older. Jason Peters, if he can't stay healthy, is a big deal. If Lane Johnson isn't a dominant right tackle, all of a sudden you don't have too many dominant players on the offensive line, and you have a below-average offensive line, and that's not a good thing. Uh, who are you down on uh, coming into today? I thought, and uh, and again, it's a little bit difficult to pinpoint specific, specific guys for um, either offense or defense, either stock up or stock down. But the guy I'm going to point out is LeGarrette Blount. Uh, I really thought that he had some opportunities to make some big plays, which is why I, I would say that I was down on him. Uh, Blunt had, uh, he missed earlier in the game on a third and one, I believe, uh, where he just you know went up the middle, didn't have any room, got stuffed. And then late in the game, the, the Redskins really could have put it out of reach even before the fumble recovery touchdown if they would have scored on their possession right before that. If they would have scored a touchdown on their possession right before that. Third and three, they go to Blunt up the middle. And again... Third and three, if you're going up the middle, it's not a gimmick. It's not, or sorry, it's not a gimme. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy one. Uh, but it, that's what he was signed for, right? He was signed for short yardage situations. He couldn't finish those. Um, and then also, I thought I get 14 carries. Uh, was I think 14 carries, 46 yards. Mm-hmm. Not a great average. Um, certainly not terrific production. But could have been a lot worse he had some short yardage stuff the, the offensive line wasn't great so it's not like those numbers are terrible but to me i thought he had opportunities where and there's at least two maybe three carries in the game where it looked like a hole opened up it looked like he had a spot to get out into the open field and he just couldn't get there he just wasn't quite fast enough um maybe part of that is that they're not using him correctly coming out of the shotgun maybe part of it is that he shouldn't be getting the majority of the carries maybe it should really be split up a small would only had two carries which i was really surprised about i thought Wendell Smallwood was their best back in the preseason. I thought they'd use him more. Um, so I think those things, to me, are concerning. That said, I mean, he had a touchdown reception, which is only a second in his career. And the reason he had that is because the Redskins defense thought they were going to run it to him, so they had to you know, pack in. So there are good things that he brings to the offense, but I thought he had chances to make real plays, legitimate plays, uh, on those third and shorts, on those runs where he had a hole, and he didn't. And that's a problem. The Redskins need a running back who can make plays. Blount definitely strikes me as a player who's I, I think will be fine. Right. I know that he doesn't necessarily have the track record, um, you know, outside of New England, um, of you know putting together full seasons. But you know, he didn't play that much in the preseason. Um, you know, it was the offensive line wasn't getting that big of a push. There's you know some pressure guys in the backfield every now and then. Um, so I feel like it's a thing where like he's going to be fine, but it wasn't it wasn't an impressive debut and the red uh, the eagles excuse me in the past the formula and this is for every team but the formula has been if you get a lead early even if it's not a big lead in the second half if you can ground out uh, a victory by really just having success on the ground and and churning the clock and getting first downs that's really helpful last year i remember the steelers game and the steelers was different it's 34 to 3 but wendell smallwood had to come in because ryan matthews got hurt and I think he ended up with 17 carries for 70 yards and, and 
all of it, almost all of it came in the second half just because they were on the ground, on the ground, on the ground. The Eagles could have done that yesterday. I'm sure they would have liked to, but they didn't. They weren't consistently getting more than two or three yards on the ground. So the situation where even when even though they were up the whole second half, A, they didn't score an offensive touchdown in the second half. Uh, they came out with two field goals and then that fumble recovery touchdown. But B, they weren't able to run the clock much because the only offense they had was when Wentz was scrambling. <laughs> so uh, I, I think you've got to find a way to get the ground game working. What And that doesn't all lie on blunt shoulders. I think it's a team effort. I think it's play calling. I think it's offensive line. But it was pretty clear to me that he wasn't as good as it could have been at running back. And sure, other players could have put him in a better position, but he was in position a few times and didn't make those plays. So in week one, the Eagles got bit by the injury bug a little Absolutely. bit, which you never, you don't, you just kind of never want to see that. You don't want to see it in the preseason. You don't want to see it in week one. Um, Ronald Darby, Jason Peters, Caleb Sturgis are the, the three main ones uh, that you know can have kind of a pretty big ripple effect on uh, the Eagles as the season goes on. Uh, where are we right now as of late Monday afternoon? All right, so we'll give a quick rundown on all three before we get into specific situations. Uh, Ronald Darby, and again, the Eagles at their news conference, Doug Peterson, Monday afternoon, pretty much declined to give any specifics. He said Jason Peters was day-to-day, which is a good sign. Um, And he said Sturgis and Darby, they'll have to get more information on, which is a bad sign. Uh, Darby uh, has an ankle injury. We know that uh, Ian Rappaport of NFL.com said it was a dislocated ankle and he'd be out four to six weeks, which after seeing his leg twist and him crumple to the ground and trainers surround him, four to six weeks does not sound that bad. Yeah. Dislocated ankle sounds terrible it makes me shiver and i don't like it but uh, it's, it's better than, it's better than an achilles injury yes it is i think that's kind of what everyone's thought, thought was especially with eric berry going down thursday night exactly and the way it was like with his foot um that said yeah. again like achilles injury i can internalize that as a football injury dislocated ankle me personally i think of my ankle not being attached to me yeah which i just don't like to think about but uh that's what happened, so we're going to have to get through it, and it seems like the Eagles are going to get through it as well, mm-hmm. um, uh, because he's only going to be going for four to six weeks, and we talked about Jalen Mills playing better. Now, that said, uh, that's a still a serious injury, and you know when we talk about serious injuries, okay, maybe he's cleared to play in four or five, six weeks, but takes him a week or two to feel comfortable, and maybe the first game he's back, he's a little bit slow, and a cornerback, you can't be a step slow. Um, so it's definitely something to monitor. It could be, it could be serious, but uh, if Ian Rappaport is correct, um, and, and the Eagles not refute that report, so that indicates that it is, he'll be back before the end of the season, and the Eagles, their cornerbacks are definitely a weakness now, uh, and they probably were even before, but now they especially are, but if they can get through, if they can win a few games here and get him back and still be in the title hunt for the NFC East week 9, week 10, that's that's a good sign. Uh, Caleb Sturgis has um, quad a quad tear was what uh, Ian Rappaport said it was of NFL.com. I think a hip flexor strain is what some of the local Philly guys have said. Uh, Doug Peterson himself said hip injury. In any case, it's supposed to be a few weeks, which puts them in a really tricky spot because you need another kicker. It's not like you can just plug in a cornerback and mix some safeties around. You need another kicker. 
the Eagles don't have an open roster spot, so what are you going to do? The Eagles like Sturgis, so I don't think they would cut him and risk that he would land somewhere else. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to waste a roster spot, especially if you're going to have Darby sitting there on your roster uh, on the kicker. So what are you going to do there? That's To me, that's the big thing. I think the Eagles can replace Caleb Sturgis. It's not like he's been that big of a weapon for them. He's been solid. But it's not like he's a guy who changes the game. Like maybe a Justin Tucker is probably the only um, only kicker who's that way now. Um, so it shouldn't be too big of a deal, but they're going to have to do some roster maneuvering. And that guy who comes in is going to have to be solid or else we'll realize it. And then Peters is the most interesting one because you know he's a 35-year-old left tackle. That's a big deal. He had a lot of injuries last year where he was in now. It's a groin injury for him. Um, it, day-to-day, he said he'll play next week. But... I mean, it was only week one, and he got hurt, and he's a guy who's, you know, they try and manage and practice where it doesn't do too much. The fact that it happened in week one is a little nerve-wracking because he's got to hold up for a 16-game season for the Eagles to be at their full potential. Groin injury definitely seems like a nagging injury, too. No doubt. Like, it's not like, you know, a break or something where it's like, okay, you like heal. we're going to fix this and heal it. Like, groin, it's sort of like, you know, the only way for – for it to get better is to stay completely off it, which... And my guess would be he won't practice this week. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I think... Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And as a guy, I mean, he knows how to get himself ready. He's been in the league since 2004, nine-time Pro Bowler. Um, that said, done practice this week. Maybe he tweaks something else. And if this is if this is a thing that follows him for the whole season, the offensive line play is going to... I don't see how it gets much better than it was on Sunday because... They built their team, and, and this is a little bit of a risk, but the Eagles built their team expecting to have a fully healthy Jason Peters. Um, as much as I like Big V and Lane Johnson as, you know, for their roles, Lane Johnson a really good right tackle. I think in terms of a swing tackle, how Puli Vita is fine. Um, but not having Jason Peters all of a sudden, if you have Jason Peters at his best, your offensive line is really good. If you have him, if, if you don't have him and you're flipping guys around that's that's tough so sunday's game happened under kind of a weird backdrop uh with a report coming out on saturday in the philadelphia inquirer that eagles defensive coordinator jim schwartz who is a former uh, nfl head coach with detroit uh has a very pointed interest in Doug Peterson's job. Uh, reporting by Jeff McLean, who cited some anonymous players and uh, people around the organization, and that I think the quote was that Schwartz is, quote, waiting to usurp uh, Peterson just based on you know, how much input he has, his overall brash personality, and just kind of, I guess, the swagger that he kind of has walking around where you know, to some, they feel like it looks like that uh, Schwartz is you know gunning for for Peterson's job. It's a really weird way to kind of open the season with that hanging over it, especially because Peterson's a second year coach um, wasn't bad as a first year coach. I mean, it wasn't great, but wasn't bad. Uh, he dealt with some other criticism from the Ringers, Michael Lombardi earlier in the week. Uh, you know, in terms of off the field stuff, it was just kind of a weird and like just weird week for for Peterson yeah. what was some of the reaction uh from that yesterday uh, on Sunday and on Monday right and obviously the public reaction is 
you have to look at that and know that players know they're in the public. So what, what happens behind closed doors is always a different thing. The other thing about the Peterson thing to point out, um, uh, Lombardi, who criticized Peterson, hired Jim Schwartz, gave him his NFL break, and they're still friends. And I think McLean said, you know, it's not hard to connect the dots. Lombardi probably hearing this, trying to help out Jim Schwartz. Um, because even in the story, we didn't have anybody really making that link other than saying, hey, you know, because of that, I think it's still speculation. So I think we can separate those two things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the play, a lot of the reaction from the players was, you know, we needed this for, for Doug. You know, we needed this for Doug Peterson. That's that's a big thing. Um, with them, they, you know, Camus Gruder Hill and uh, Stephen Means dumped a Gatorade on Doug Peterson, even though it was a week one win, which... I don't know if I would have done that personally <laughs> if I was in the NFL, but whatever. Um, so that's that. That's something that happened. Uh, Jason Peters came out and said, you know, we, we had to get one for Doug Peterson to show that we're behind him, and, and I think that's I think that's a big thing. It's always interesting with the NFL because offense and defense, you know, they're really the units really are separate. They're in different meanings. They're really led by different coaches. Um, Peterson gives Schwartz autonomy over the defense, so. I think it would have meant more if, if defensive players were a little more excited. I know Means and Means and Gruger Hill are defense players, but they seem to be the special teams guys and team guys. Um, so I think that's something to keep in mind. But you know, it, it seemed like at least publicly the team is behind Peterson. That said, it's a very interesting dynamic, the Swartz Peterson relationship and dynamic, and I think it's going to continue to be interesting and kind of head scratching as the season progresses. <laughs> Jim Schwartz seems like you have to be a particular kind of person to work with him. <laughs> and Doug Peterson kind of strikes me as the, the type of guy that can, you know, work with him pretty well. Um, you, know, you mentioned that uh, Peterson gives Schwartz autonomy to, you know, run the defense. Uh, most of the guys that Howie Roseman assigned, uh, I think, were on Schwartz's recommendation. Uh, they were signed for Schwartz. Um you know, it's not like when Chip Kelly was the GM, where you had the offensive coach, you know, putting these defensive guys around, and some of the fits worked, some didn't. Um, you know, this is sort of like Schwartz has his guys uh, on defense and things. And then just kind of his demeanor, very brash, very cocky, very loud, while Peterson is just seems pretty laid back, pretty vanilla. Um, it, it's quite the contrast, but, I mean, I don't really think there'd be good results if Peterson was brash and cocky and then right. uh, Schwartz was also brash and cocky. Right. I mean, the way I would I would say it for somebody who doesn't know much about the Eagles dynamic, uh, Jim Schwartz would be the head coach in a football movie. Like, he can be Herman Boone from Remember the Titans. Like, cocky and, you know, very stern and the players learn to love him, but he's also, you know, really tough and he gives that great halftime speech that great and just gets in the speech. face throws uh, things in the locker room right anybody who questions his team you know it's no that's my team we're gonna show them with results um you know makes funny jokes like that's a coach thing to do that he would do you know funny but tough jokes doug peterson isn't like that at all doug peterson seems like uh ned flanders from the simpsons almost like that's that's the closest to a to a tv you know for comparing Schwartz to like the the normal TV character coach, um, normal movie character coach. Peterson's like the sitcom neighbor. He's like uh, Wilson from Home Improvement. Like that's that's the comparison we're dealing with there. And and but I think the Eagles wanted someone like that, like Peterson after Chip Kelly, who uh, 
Chacon and Schwartz have their differences, but they are both maybe a little bit closed off, maybe a little bit stubborn. I think you could describe those two. I don't think Peterson is as much. I think Peterson's uh, flexible. I think that's the way to describe him. I think that's what the Eagles were looking for when they wanted a new coach. But to have a guy who's flexible and relaxed be the head coach and the guy who is tough and a little bit cocky and, and has that swagger being the defensive coordinator, it makes it a little bit strange because if those two are in the room, you know, kind of the leadership thing where the, the leader rises to the top. Those If if a bunch of people are straight on the island and Doug Peterson and Jim Schwartz are there, Jim Schwartz is the one who's going to end up leading that, that group on the island. No doubt about it. That said, we're not on the island. We're in a football team. <laughs> and, you know, the Eagles can structure it how they want. And I don't think there's anything wrong with this structure. Uh, to me personally, now, if Jim Schwartz wants a head coaching job, which I assume he does... There's no reason for him not to look at Doug Peterson and be like, man, I, I could I could come off as better in these press conferences. I could get the team more fired up. And I'm sure in a lot of ways he could, but that's not how the Eagles have decided to do things. And today, Doug Peterson shrugged off the reports, said, you know, we have a great relationship. And one thing I thought was interesting that he said is, I, I like Jim Schwartz's swagger. That's why we hired him. And that balances that balances things out, you know? And maybe on the maybe on the offensive side of the ball you need a fun loving game planner. And on the defensive side of the ball you need a guy who's a little bit more of a of, of a tough, gritty guy. And that's what they have. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but it's certainly an interesting uh, human element thing where it's how, how do they coexist when the guy who's naturally a little bit more of a tough leader is below the guy who's a little bit more of a lovable neighbor. It, it's just kind of a it's such a weird dynamic to kind of parse out and everything because I mean if you're Jim Schwartz I'm sure if you said like you know straight up just asked Doug Peterson like you know like, you know he wants to be an NFL head coach again how does that that make you feel and you know he'd probably be like well yeah, yeah who like doesn't? He, yeah, yeah who, who doesn't want to be a head coach again especially someone like Schwartz who didn't have the best end to his tenure right. in Detroit but, but did have some success it's mm-hmm. not like he was a total flop yeah, I mean, and it's which makes it even more interesting. Where it's not like he went in and reeled off like three straight three and thirteen seasons, and it's sort of, and you're sort of like, oh, he's not going to get another chance. Right. It's he could definitely get another chance at some point. So it's it's just kind of weird, especially to happen week one, like a little bit more than twenty four hours before the season is about to kick off. Um, you know, Peterson talked Monday, uh, Schwartz. Might talk later this week. Still waiting he, to find. He will either Tuesday or Thursday. I'm expecting Tuesday based on the new schedules. Um, last year, coordinators talked on Thursdays, but I'm expecting it to be tomorrow. So, mm-hmm. um, shortly after this podcast is published and you all listen to it, we'll have some new news to, to consider. This conversation could be completely out of date. Oh, well, at least when we first publish it, it'll be fine. So you have you have a maybe two and a half hour window right. to, to listen to this well, digest you're it all gonna, you're all gonna listen to it right away you know you're all waiting on pins and needles anyways well feel free to send us any questions anything you want us to talk about i'm on twitter at daniel jt gallon you can email me dgallon at penlive.com uh yeah and i'm at aaron cash reports on twitter a casinets at penlive.com look that up if you want <laughs> And you can like Penn Live's uh, Philadelphia Eagles Facebook page, uh, Philadelphia Eagles on Penn Live. Right. Uh, we've been Pretty posting easy. lots of videos, lots of links, uh, everything you could want. Yeah, that's that's where everything is. Right, and um, yeah, and find our podcast on iTunes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Penn Live Sports Podcast on iTunes, 
Um, yeah, we'll be back uh, Friday morning to look ahead to week two at Kansas City. That'll be a great morning. See ya.